Hi, I'm Nikki Tapper, and this is Representation Matters, conversations around diversity in the workplace podcast series by The Equal Group, bringing stories, insights and learnings around optimising equality, diversity and inclusion in the workplace. In this episode, I'm speaking to Christopher Clyde Green. Christopher has a wealth of experience in education. He also is a former actor and he very much would say that he's an international person as he's now based in Switzerland, but has lived in five other countries. So I ask him, firstly, whereabouts in Switzerland is he based? So I'm based in the French section. Switzerland's uh, divided up into linguistic and cultural sections. I'm in the French section and uh, the the Roman area, so near Geneva. Do you speak French or any other language, actually? Uh, yes, I speak a little bit of French. Um, I speak survivor's French. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I can say, Oui, je parle français. Uh, um, bonjour, salut, ça va? There's sufficient amount to, uh, to, to get survive in, and to get through. But I'm aiming, obviously, to, to push a little bit harder there so I can, so I can actually access... Um, more of the culture and, and and understand more of the people around me. Um, I speak a little bit of Portuguese too, because um, I spent some time there. So eu falo um pouco português. Uh, uh, porque eu fiquei no Porto por três anos. Because I lived in Porto, I stayed in Porto for three years. So the funny thing is, is with Portuguese is that um, when I speak it, people are often confused because I sound like I'm from northern Portugal and the uh, and it's not the most diverse area in the world. Um, so that's quite an interesting one when they hear my accent or sotak, as they call it. Wow, that is lovely. What a wonderful way to start. You've, um, it's just a joy to hear that. And I, I gather from what you're saying then, um, mm-hmm. travel and being in other countries has really been a wonderful part of your life journey so far. Well, I think traveling for me is a way of learning. It's a way of understanding the world around me. And I think that obviously you can learn from books and learn from your own community. But I think that expanding your horizons literally, uh, physically can just add so much more, uh, breadth and knowledge to your own, to your own, to your own soul, really. With travel, obviously there's a language aspect, but there's also the cultural aspect too. And there's this idea of flex. So when you're in a, a multicultural environment, you learn about flex. And for me, that is willing to, willing to bend to certain other cultural, cultures' needs or ideas, but not uh, giving up your own. So knowing your base. So as long as you know yourself and know what your foundation is culturally, um, then you usually, um, usually do quite well abroad and, and elsewhere. Yeah, well, tell me then, that's a, a great introduction to you in the sense, but tell me a little bit more about who Chris Clyde Green is then. <laughs> well, I think it's funny talking about myself in third person, so I've I, I got to talk about myself in first. Um, um, but basically, yeah, so right now, I'm right now, Chris Clyde Green, right now at this point, is a, is a, is a teacher, is an educator. I don't know where I'll be after that, or, I, and I, I know I was before that, I was living in England. Um, born in England, raised in England, with Jamaican citizenship and Jamaican parents, Swiss permanent residency here. So I've, I'm a teacher, I'm a, I'm a learner, I'm, I'm, I'm musical, I, I enjoy music, 
I've been working as well externally for the IBO, which is the International Baccalaureate Organization. I do this role where I'm a workshop leader and I um, basically teach, instruct or lead other uh, teachers in how to basically teach uh, the course that the IB have, have assigned to us. I'm concurrently doing this while being an English literature teacher at um, uh, a school in Geneva. And I also teach a subject called Theory of Knowledge. Been to many parts of the world. I've also had the opportunity to to do a um, be a visiting faculty member in Beirut, in Lebanon, which was a fantastic experience. I lived in North London, or should I say North London? Um, <laughs> um, and I taught at a, a boarding school up there. So that was a, a eye-opening experience for me, something I hadn't experienced before. I'm an Oxbridge alumnus. Um, I went to University of London as well, experienced the whole uh, different aspects there. And before this, I was um, before, well, actually concurrently, I've always been writing. So I've written for various media outlets as well, um, predominantly on music and culture, but it was a little bit of an education as well. This is a lot. I feel like it feels it, weird talking about yourself. I know. Um, it, uh, well, it's, it's, <laughs> it's a very impressive CV or just list of life experience and work experience. But let's go back to yeah. what interested you and what made you become a, a teacher. What was it about that profession that you gravitated to and thought, yes, this is what I'd like to do? Well, thanks for that. Um, so actually, it was in my third year of university. I was uh, obviously doing some acting. Uh, I did some professional acting when I was at uni as well. I remember missing nearly half a term getting in a lot of trouble for that because I was doing acting. We also did this thing called theatre and education. We went around different schools and I went around with a group, the National Youth Theatre of Great Britain. We did a we did a um, play called Keeping It Safe, which is about um, street safety and um, you know uh, making sure that your friends and everyone else is all right in your community. And that was a really good experience to interact with young people uh, through that method. And then I got interested in another scheme that was based in based around Royal Holloway, uh, which is university I went to, and um, teaching uh, sort of disenfranchised students in their schools, just helping to be teacher assistants. And I felt that this was a really rewarding, enriching experience. The learning is reciprocal. I learn about them. Uh, I'm a learner constantly. And I felt if you can make an impact, a uh, positive impact in their lives, why can't I do this uh, in other countries? Or why can't I do this around the world? And, and also, I felt what got me into teaching was the fact that I, I had the opportunity to continue learning, which is something I really enjoyed doing. Mm, uh, it's fascinating to hear the, the the idea that already from a from a young age and obviously in your university years that you had a desire to help others and yeah. the the teaching profession very similar to me really is about how you give back and the fact that you can change even one person's mindset attitude exactly. behavior uh, and it's so rewarding, isn't it, in that sense? Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, when you gain knowledge, um, well, knowledge can't really be destroyed or changed, or, 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 but I think it can be transferred. And that sort of transference of knowledge, you, you, you've got to pay it forward, I think, once you've got that knowledge. And, and it's, a, it's just a healthy method and a healthy way of doing things. We've been learning from each other since day, day zero. So it just feels like one of those professions that is a profession that, should be respected and um and and something that we should um 
we should try and carry on. And I don't think there's all these inventions with AI and robotics and, and like, you know, online classrooms and such, and that's all great, but they're all tools. To, you can never really reduce the effect of uh, person-to-person interaction uh, and, and learning something and doing something in that manner. And like you say, like knowledge is, is, is a powerful thing and it can really change a person's life. And I'm not just talking about disenfranchised youth and people who are maybe um, in less fortunate situations due to economic situations. But I'm even talking about on the, 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 the other end as well. Students um, that, that I'm now teaching at a very uh, quote-unquote prestigious school, meaning that it's got a lot of you know, capital to, to ensure the students are uh, have all the provisions that they need perhaps but these students can also change the world because if anything they can have an effect in a in a, in a maybe in a more immediate fashion perhaps and that's why i think it's very important to recognize that everyone needs to be educated otherwise we're going to get the same type of leaders we're going to get the same type of uh, ignorance in a sense and we're going to get the same type of voices saying the same type of things. Mm-hmm. And that, that leads me really to a couple of things. We'll go back to talking about technology and, and how you see that in terms of how it can assist the world that we're in, the society and, and the changes that technology, as you mentioned there, can, you know, AI and robotics can have an impact. But you've raised a point there that's made me think about the question regarding EDI, which is equality, diversity and inclusion, and that there's a need for both ends of the spectrum to be involved in um, our society and that therefore everyone should be part of it. And I know that you'd written an article, as you'd already mentioned, that you've written for quite a few publications and even on your own website there that's of interest to, to many. Tell me a little bit then about how you see diversity in particular the article you'd written was titled uh, diversity in international education being a myth uh, and i know yeah. that that may sound as though it could have a negative connotation but i believe that you're you're talking about diversity in a very positive way and you're very much around solutions so tell me what that means and when you do hear the words equality diversion inclusion how does that make you feel how do you th- what do you think Absolutely. I think that um, in regards to the article I wrote and my own opinions, words like diversity, I mean, diversity for me equates to success. I mean, I could talk about it just within the educational spectrum, but if you if you look within, I do a sports analogy, for example. A rugby team is a team full of diverse backgrounds, perhaps diverse shapes, you know, you need every single different type of male shape or female shape on that team for it to for it to function for it to work and you need to have a diverse way of thinking for the team to be successful you know if you just have this homogenous group you just have a bunch of yes men and you just have a bunch of people who say the same things and for me you only get success via diversity and diversity for me is about is, is innovation it's people saying, what if? It's people saying, perhaps that isn't the right idea. And embracing diversity in leadership, I think, in education can be massively beneficial, especially in an international environment. But the primary reason, one thing that's paramount for me is recognition. If you are a, if you are a 15-year-old boy from India and you 
don't see anyone who shares the same language, shares the same culture, shares the same perhaps political notions as you, then perhaps you might feel a little bit isolated there. And I think they put it a lot in their writing. You know, I say they, but I mean like managerial or uh, leaders in, in social education and elsewhere put in their writing that they're an equal opportunities employer. And for example, um, leaders predominantly in our, in our Western world, quote unquote, cis male, able-bodied, middle-aged European descent. You know, it's hard to find an exception really. Uh, and, you know, there's, you, you, you've got to have an educational organisation that, that does show that diversity, particularly in international school, I think, because you're going to have people from around the world. It's, it just, the place I'm teaching is, is similar to the UN. You know, we have multiple languages, multiple uh, cultures, and you, you get the same thing in, like a, in a city school in London. Yet the people who are in educational leadership predominantly are the same type of person. Um, how, how do how do we break that down? You're you're black male, and again, you must at times feel as though I'm rather tired of standing out and <laughs> be looking. You know the, the the kind of saying of sticking out like a sore thumb. So when you are seeing that platform that is predominantly white male, middle class, do, do you ever feel as though you can make a difference? Are you are you conscious or are you optimistic that? your profile is going to make that change i mean i wouldn't say the whole emphasis that i'm trying to try and to um the whole thing i'm trying to impress upon is that the idea of diversity shouldn't be systematic in terms of categorization and i think that we shouldn't fall into the, the trap of having sort of having token hires or or assumed diverseness right we um, the stagnation in this sort of educational leadership can be can be helped by embracing diverse thoughts. I mean, okay, if there's a bunch of cis male Europeans who are, are managing at the moment, okay, that they might have a bunch of diverse thoughts. But I mean, if we think about it, that's not going to happen if you're from the same cultural background, which predominantly the, the those in, in leadership positions are at the moment. There's no there's no usual or typical. Uh, educational leader or leader in general but they are often the CEOs um, the head teachers the governors of the same uh, culture as well so I think with me as and I mean standing out is that this is a concept that has happened I think predominantly throughout my own uh, life I mean I was born in you know central London then moved out into the suburbs, went to a school that where I was the only, uh, let's say, brown dots in the in, in the in the photograph of of eight hundred people. But then the next to me, also my friend was from Sri Lanka, and I had a friend who was Danish, and I had a friend who was who was uh, of Han Chinese origin. So once you look beyond the colours uh, and and into the culture, I think that's more of an important aspect. For me, people might be saying to me, "I'm culturally the same as." As uh, as as other as 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 a cis white gender males, but it depends on how deep you go, how deep the dive you go. I think it's all about having a diverse thought process, really. But you, you're right in some regards because you only need to look at promotional materials at top international schools or top companies. You can realise the inertia. There's plenty of difference in the student body or in the staff that they hire. 
But when you get to the top of the layer cake, cream is the same color as a, as a cream on top of a cake. Yeah, yeah. And I gather you, as you said, you can either choose to look at that picture and go, well, it's never going to change. Or again, you're, I, I hear in your conversation what you're saying then, you would say, well, I need to still strive for that mm. cake color to look a little beige at times or even pink or even green. Whichever, long- whichever, whichever taste you want, you know, whichever flavor you want. I, I don't know if it's necessarily that this whole idea of, of striving, it should, and it shouldn't be a top-down decision. This should be a decision that's made throughout an organization. And it should be something that is, is permeated throughout that we respect and recognize diversity and difference, not pure on the basis of, of physicality or of um, visual difference, holistic and uh, it needs to permeate throughout the organization. This attitude that uh, we respect and tolerate difference and diversity. And we don't have the notion that the top make all the decisions. And there needs to be a healthy leadership which can learn from others too. There's a brilliant lady, I forget her, forgot her name, I saw her on the TED Talk. And she said that she wants to be such a good leader that she becomes obsolete. Because a lot of people who have the mentality to be leaders, I feel, crave the leadership and hold on to it. Yeah, yeah, I hear you with that. And it's interesting, actually, Chris, because having read your article, it appears that many leaders or leadership possibly isn't fully aware of mindfulness, being empathetic and truly encouraging their work staff to have um, positive mental well-being, um, positive mental health. What's the key thing that they could do as leaders to ensure something like that and, and around EDI work is happening? Well, I think it all stems from communication. If you have successful communication between leadership and between middle management and between staff members, perhaps below, then I, I, don't, I think that the element of humility and, and, and conversation will help encourage the idea that managers don't need to be defensive. Those below them don't need to be antagonistic. A level of transparency also needs to happen as, as well in that regard. How are people hired? Uh, on what basis are these people hired? If we're doing interviews, for example, in the school, they do a, uh, in schools, they do a thing called student voice now where students in, interview candidates, which I think is great. And they also sometimes have a situation where the candidate will hang out in a sense with uh, a few teachers who aren't on the senior leadership level just so they can have a feel of the school instead of people in the school can have a, uh, an idea of who they are. I think these sort of things will help encourage fairness in a sense. So again, I'm hearing then positives with how you see education, looking at how they recruit and ensuring that candidates can hang out with the caretaker up to hanging out with the head teacher. So are you then positive about the steps education are making when it comes to looking at equality, diversity and inclusion? I think uh, any concept uh, where you're meeting um, as many people involved in the, in the organisation as possible, I think that will do anything. I think that will do everything to encourage uh, EDI in that sense. Um, you have an awareness of of who of who of how the place functions. You know, it doesn't just function from the top dog, and you're and also you're not the centre of the universe either. Mm-hmm. So. 
the realization that no man is an island or no woman is an island unto themselves is, a, is an idea that we need to try and embrace. And you know, I think education does is a is the beginning of that. It's a it's a genus of that idea. Education helps to uh, uh, open your mind up to new ideas. If we don't start with an education to provide these intellectual, moral, and social instructions, then how on earth do we expect people to reflect that within industry? Yeah, yeah. Remember we were speaking a bit earlier and you talked a little bit about technology or, you know, touched on it. And so I just wanted to ask you about how can technology, your understanding anyway of, of technology, the impact of it, help towards that goal? How, how do you think it could help measure when it comes to the recruiting of the candidates, how many people are being kept in positions of leadership? What does that leadership structure look like in terms of the EDI approach? So in terms of technology improving diversity in hiring, you can provide solutions and technology such as artificial technology but there is also sometimes like you can use AI programs and, and big data to select a, an ideal person to fill the position. With this, I think that the biases will be less of, a, of an issue here because these programs can make an automatic decision based on a myriad of, of points. You know, you can use compa- computer-based forms for blind screening, a hiring process that will basically remove all the identification uh, information from an applicant's uh, applicant's um, resume. Um, so the, the AI could could only focus on skills and experience, rather than things such as age, gender, race, name, because these things provoke bias. My name is Christopher Clyde Green, right? So um, I've found <laughs> experiences that when I've walked into an interview room, I've seen the eyes. Of the whites of the eyes of the people when I walk into the room. I even had people say, I'm expecting, and I have to say my name again, because they've not expected the person with my name to be me. AI would eradicate that. <laughs> it's, it's incredible. And even from how I sound, I get, I get it from, from both ends of the spectrum. How I sound, if you are a, uh, I guess, moderately well-spoken person um, who seems to be well-read people you can look at that people look at it in a way in terms of just in in prejudice way they look at it like oh isn't that marvelous he can he can he he can he can speak eloquently or they can look at it in a sense like oh um i didn't expect you to be able to do this and it's it's an incredible thing like even if you've put on your CV where you've been educated and what you've done, people still have their underlying bias and AI can remove that. Yeah, fascinating to hear that. Chris, it's been a pleasure really just hearing you and listening to your thoughts. No problem. You've done so many things. And so I suppose finally I'd like to just ask, what's one key thing that has stood out in terms of your work and life experience? Or you could give me one from both. What have you... Yeah, what have you taken away and gone, gosh, I'm so pleased about that from a work experience standpoint and then one that you think, gosh, that's amazing from a life experience standpoint? Well, currently, there's so many different things I could think, well, <laughs> that's really wonderful thing for me in, it, in education. That's what keeps me going, um, I think, in terms of my, me enjoying what I do. 
and me seeing purpose in it. But actually, one of the things that I do enjoy now is being is having the opportunity to be outside the classroom with my students, taking them on excursions and trips, and also for them to be able to do to encounter other people and that that they may not have met before, and also to discuss um, other international issues. I give you two examples. I went on a school trip to to Kenya with my school from Switzerland, and yeah, it's an incredible opportunity. And we went there and we uh, we helped to build a school, and we didn't just build the school and you know take some photos and whatnot and come back and be like, oh, wasn't that a great experience? We actually uh, were led by a, a a Kenyan, a man of Ugandan and Kenyan origin. This was a place that he came back to, and it was his, he he came back every year, and um, he came back with different schools. And you know, this I felt for me opened up the eyes of my students. They learned a lot more about the country. You know, there were even parents bringing in saying, "Oh, are we sure we should go to Kenya? Are we sure we should get to Kenya because of the um, unfortunate uh, terrorist attack, you know, in uh, in the shopping mall, if you if you remember, it was around that time." And I did find that kind of intriguing because I felt, well, Britain's had numerous terrorist attacks during that time as well and it's just an interesting angle that people look at you know you see where that's where you see where a lack of knowledge kicks in as well because the lack of knowledge creates fear um the kids went the kids came back unscathed fine and they really really enjoyed the experience not only because they were getting to meet different kinds of people but there was a sense that their empathy was growing and they were also they were physically working their their, their butts off to be honest lifting bricks and all this other manual labor jobs that perhaps that you know they might not ever experience again the second trip uh, that we went to or that i organized is the model united nations which i think is a very rewarding experience for the students and for, for myself because they represent different countries or different nations or diplomats within the model uh, within the united nations and they get to go to a different country and they do this conference and they meet lots of different students from around the world where they play the role of these diplomats. And so it's a really interesting thing because they talk about real-time uh, situations that the UN have to go through as young people. And so this almost um, forces them to, to look at the news and forces them to, to peer their heads uh, above their mobile phones and, and uh, you know, look beyond themselves. And I think that's a really rewarding experience. And plus they get to meet kids from around the world. So it's excellent. Um, you asked me about my personal experience as well. Yes, yes. So if there was one thing that stood out about what you've achieved in life so far, other than from work. Yeah, so, um, I mean, apart from, you know, the the work aspect, I think things like marriage, that kind of, you can learn a lot from that. That's you can you can gain a lot of empathy from that too um, a lot of understanding a lot of patience and i think that's a, a huge learning experience for me i think my acting times i learned how to not play a role but how to um how to understand that there are elements of life that are performative and you have to sometimes put on a, a, a brave face or sometimes hold your own in a situation or learn how to even things like stance and stature, these are important things when you're in an interview room, for example, or when you're talking to people, for instance. We're still a very visual society. People look 
and 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 they 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 you know we look each other up and down every day, and it's an important thing to understand that as well, uh, in terms of um, obviously how you sound is important too, and how you project yourself to the world around you. There's obviously a private life and there's also a a public life that you you need to you need to realise, and I think that's an important aspect as well. Oh, wonderful. Oh, Chris, thank yeah. you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure uh, talking it's with you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. That was Christopher Clyde Green. Thank you so much for listening. Wherever you are listening from, we'd love to hear from you. What were your learnings from today's conversation? What would you like to add? Let us know by using hashtag TEG podcast on Twitter. You can also head over to the equalgroup.com website. In fact, when you're there, check out more insights and articles when it comes to equality, diversity and inclusion in the workplace, as well as our beyond and conscious bias training and all EDI products and services. Why not join our mailing list as well to get all the latest on EDI news and practical solutions. So stay tuned and listen to our podcast. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at The Equal Group. Until next time, everyone, take care.